everyone, welcome to They Teach That, a podcast about television, film, and video production classes in our schools. I'm your host, Kevin Patterson. So this is the very first episode of this podcast series. I am super excited to be able to share with you guys the conversation uh, that I had with uh, this episode's subject, uh, Dave Davis from Hillcrest High School in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Dave is a name that many broadcast advisors will likely be familiar with. He's a name I discovered early on in my involvement with the uh, Student Television Network, uh, which is a national organization of uh, high school and middle school broadcast and and film programs. Um, And I don't let a year go by where I don't show videos from his program in my class. Uh, So a programming note for this episode, Uh, this conversation that you're about to hear was recorded back in July of uh, 2017, so almost 10 months ago. Uh, I had anticipated beginning this series uh, and and airing episodes um, back in September, and then I realized a few weeks into the school year that that wouldn't happen. Uh, So this episode, along with uh, four others that you're going to be hearing in the next few weeks, are going to be conversations from the end of the summer of 2017. In this conversation, uh, we'll discuss a few slightly time-sensitive topics, but I'll give a few updates at the end of the episode. Uh, Amongst some of what you're going to hear Dave and I discuss in this episode are his beginnings as a teacher. So I walk in in September of 89 with a camera, a VCR, and a TV. No editing gear, no microphones, no tripods, didn't know what I was doing. And that's one of my strongest messages, I think, to the teachers that come to our workshop is, I didn't know what I was doing. It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. The experience of playing a role in the creation of the Student Television Network. And Paul came up with this crazy idea. He kind of tapped into the the broadcast teachers were starting to multiply a little bit and we wanted our own thing, kind of. It was like we were under the JEA umbrella, but we didn't feel like we really had our own, you know, recognized community and his program and how it's evolved over the years, including the addition of a bus tour. Our theme is get off the bus. That's our, get off the bus and find a story. Make these kids go talk to other human beings. You know, they're not texting with these total strangers on the street. They're having to look them in the eye and have a conversation and find out what their story is. There's a reason I wanted to have Dave on for my first episode. And that's just the fact that Dave is just such a wealth of knowledge and insight Um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy the conversation that you're about to listen to. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, I am here with a legend in the field of broadcast education, Dave Davis. Dave, how are you doing? I'm, well, I'm doing well until you call me a legend. Now I'm a little nervous. I got to say legendary things here. (laughs) I'm confident you will. Uh, (laughs) Now, uh, Dave, at the time of uh, the recording of this interview, you just finished up with the uh, ASB uh, workshop for teachers uh, over the summer. So can you tell us a bit how, uh, first of all, tell us a bit about what that is and, and how did it go? Well, it went fantastic. We had a huge group for us, 35 teachers from 17 states and then a teacher who's uh, going to teach in Dubai at an American school. So we had we had a great group. Uh, they were all over the map, literally, and also uh, experience-wise. And that's always the challenge of the workshop is 
bringing all these people from diverse backgrounds and experience. You know, you have teachers who've had the class thrown at them literally by a principal like two months ago said, hey, we're going to we're going to need somebody to take over the video class. And you've got your business teacher, you know, machines so you can you can figure it out. And that's that happens a lot. It's just a variety of folks out there that are teaching video of some sort. And that's what we find at the workshop every year. It went great. The workshop's been around since the summer of 2000, believe it or not. Uh, at our first workshop uh, here, in, and it's always in the, the main workshop, the motherships here in Springfield, Missouri, and we do it at my school, at Hillcrest High School, because it's kind of our philosophy is let's do it in a school setting because that's where these people are going to be. We could go to a nice college or some fancy, but that's not where they're, most of them are going to teach. So let's do it with all those little challenges of being in a school building and uh, having school facilities to, to fall back on. Uh, we had 25 teachers attend the first one. It was called Camp STN back then. Uh, the camp actually did business before STN did business. It uh, we like to remember some of us old timers how the Student Television Network actually started at the camp. The people that, in fact, Jackie Romy's the president now. She came to the workshop four or five years in a row. Uh, we go back with so many of the teachers from the old days, and we just wanted something of our own. The workshop started because I said in the fall of 89, as I started teaching broadcasting, that I was on an island. I had no help. Nobody would even call. There was one other program nearby, and they really weren't doing what we were doing, which was kind of the journalism uh, stuff. So it, I said, if I ever get any good at this, I'd like to start something in the summer to help teachers that are just, because they, if they feel like me, then I, I feel their pain. And so that's what uh, started uh, this idea of a summer workshop. And uh, in, in 2000, we had 25 teachers. We had one from Alaska who was a great guy. We had, and he said, there's nothing else. He told me two things. He said, Dave, there's nothing else out there like this right now. And you're not charging enough. And I was like, Okay, thanks, Tom. But uh, we still are a pretty cheap date, I think. We haven't really milked it for... Uh, we could... Everybody that comes, we get wonderful feedback. They say, this was fantastic. It's the best workshop I've ever been to. And you die, you guys really could charge more for this. And we just don't because we don't want to. We, we don't need to. Uh, it's a reasonable amount for what we offer. We provide a lot of hospitality. And, and it's... the. The thing about the workshop is kind of where I come from is it's you can talk broadcasting and talk it to death. You got to get out there and do it. And a lot of the teachers that are being asked to teach broadcasting have never done broadcasting. So they walk away from our workshop. They have done some broadcasting. In fact, they have done three or four projects hands on with the stress and the pressure of a deadline. And, and I think that's what makes it real for them. So that's, that's been, a, it's been a joy to do it. I, I want to keep it going as long as I can, as long as they'll let me in the building and people keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Something that uh, you kind of hit on there is, is just how broadcast teachers kind of come from so many different, different backgrounds, um, you know, and we're all kind of on islands uh, usually and, and just kind of isolated from each other. So part of this is, you know, I want people to kind of, get to know some of the other teachers that are out there. Um, so yeah. tell us, kind of give us a summary. Who is uh, Dave Davis? And, and I guess, how did you find yourself in a classroom? Well, I fell in love with journalism as a high school student. I, uh, actually, as a junior high student, I got to do my own column in eighth grade. I just made up crazy stuff. It was a column just for fun. And then I rolled into high school journalism. And now we're talking journalism when it was just a newspaper you know, a yearbook, which I didn't do the yearbook, but uh, the newspaper, I fell in love doing the, the newspaper. I became sports editor in high school. I was sports editor and then uh, for a brief time editor in college. I loved print journalism, and uh, but I didn't want to do it. 
I didn't want to be a journalist. I had such a wonderful experience in high school in journalism that I thought maybe teaching it would be kind of cool. And also I was a baseball player in high school and college, and I knew I wanted to coach a little bit after college. So I kind of married two very different uh, passions there with coaching baseball and teaching journalism. Now, I didn't get to teach journalism until I'd been teaching English for about eight years, and then I finally got a chance to teach some journalism. I taught Journalism One, uh, which helped prepare our newspaper and yearbook kids, because we had a really good newspaper sponsor, and she didn't need to go anywhere, and they didn't need me. And so I was still at Hillcrest. I've been at Hillcrest forever, and uh, at some point, um, baseball coaching went well. We won the state championship in Legion Ball in 87. We won the high school state championship in 88. I had a great group. I had a wonderful experience on the baseball field, but I just got so burned out teaching English, especially English 1. I had a lot of freshman English classes, and you teach English 1, Romeo and Juliet, to a room 30 freshmen in high school, and they just, it was really getting, and it just, I needed to do something, and that's when I pitched the, I, the, the class, I found out we, could ha we had cable access capabilities at our school. And I didn't know, when I found that out, that we could get on the air, or at least on cable, uh, simply by hooking up to the modulator, I'm like, whoa, we could do a show. And so I had a couple of kids that in an English one class that year to, to drag it out, but it's worth it. The, Dan Arnold and Alan Hammock kept kept asking me, got to start a broadcast. Oh, we need to have a class. You Can you do it, coach? You got to start the broadcast class because they knew I was interested. We could do a show. We could do our own thing. We could get some equipment. Well, we had, and I, you know, their passion as freshman meet English kids. I knew these two bright guys. I knew that if they were excited about it, some of the other kids at school would be excited about it. So I convinced the principal. He said, hey, we can offer it. If you have enough kids sign up, go for it. We had 65 kids sign up. So the next year, the fall of 1989, 89, I had a class of 32 and a class of 33. The class was called at that time Media and Persuasion. And it was originally a semester class just to kind of let kids sniff around media topics. And I convinced them from the outset, I want to do it all year. I don't want to say goodbye in, in December and have to start over. First of all, I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. So I needed some time to actually figure it out. But the principal said, yep, that you can do it. We'll make it a full year. They can take it all year. So I walk in in September of 89 with a camera, a VCR, and a TV. No editing gear, no microphones, no tripods, didn't know what I was doing. And that's one of my strongest messages, I think, to the teachers that come to our workshop is, I didn't know what I was doing. It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. You can learn this. And in fact, there are more resources now. You're going to learn a lot faster than I did. So uh, we started off and we edited our, we decided to be a monthly news magazine because you get to tell any story you want. And that was from the outset, HTV Magazine, I think we're the, the nation's oldest student produced news magazine now. It's been the same show. It's been a show where every month we just come in with a blank page. We, we, we decide what we're gonna cover. And it's stories by teens for teens. That's our focus, very simple focus. So that tells us we're not doing stories for the principal, for the coat, for the adults, and, and for the we're doing it for teenagers. Stories that we think teens would be interested in, and that's been pretty empowering for the students. So there's that, and we've stayed on focus. We've done the same show, and I think that's there's some I stumbled into some brilliance there. Just find out what you're good at, what the kids have a passion for, what you think you can do, and stick with it. 
a lot of schools reinvent themselves. A lot of broadcast programs, they, they, they reinvent themselves every couple of years. They go, ah, we're not very good at that. Or, eh, why don't we get some different gear and try something else? And I'm like, it's okay to change and evolve, but at some point, you got to hone in on what you are and just be that. And I think we kind of figured that out. But the only way we could edit the first year of HTV was to go to a student's house whose dad had a deck-to-deck system where he edited wedding videos that he shot. And we, we begged him, asked him nicely um, if, we could, if we could maybe edit our stories over there. And he said, I'll, and the word came back, you can come here and edit your stories, but my son was senior in my class. Only my son can actually touch the, the editing equipment because if it gets broken, I want to blame him. I don't want some kid that thinks he knows. So I said, deal. And we cut a monthly magazine. We made a monthly magazine eight months that year in a row. Our first eight shows were all edited at a student's house after school weekends. And it was edited by the students and me standing over the shoulder of the kid who could actually push the buttons, telling him, put this there, put that there. Now have him, yeah, use that quote. We didn't know what a bite was. Use that quote there. And I mean, that's how we got eight shows. They all ran 30 minutes or a little more. Uh, because again, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to be brief and, and concise. We were just, you know, it just we just were learning it by doing it instead of talking it to death. And I think that's what I would recommend more teachers. Just dig in and do it. Get your hands dirty with the kids. Learn this stuff. Learn the gear. Go out and shoot your own story. I mean, but that's what we did. We And since then, the, the program grew and here we are. So that's a long answer, but that is the history. That's how I started. And again, English teacher, baseball coach. I will say this, Kevin. The, the one thing I had going for me was that I had a journalism education degree. And I had done print journalism. So I could write a little bit. And teaching kids to write for broadcast is a constant challenge. They're not going to pick it. They may not pick it up very well during high school. It's a craft, a specialized craft. But we have to help them. And that's a big, that's a big problem, a big obstacle for a lot of the people out there that are teaching this is that they can learn the technology. Some of them are, are tech teachers, I get that. They're, they're in vocational tech, but they're not writers. And you can't just become a writer overnight and then become a specialized broadcast writer. So you have to really help the kids with that. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. I um, uh, think that, you know, there's so many teachers that you know, are, are worried so much about the technical side. Um, writing is just so so important. I think you know, you having taught English was probably a big help as well. You know, because you were you you were comfortable with teaching kids how to write. Because um, yeah. if you don't if you can't write, you don't have the content. You can learn the technical stuff, but you got to be able to write. You'll love this to emphasize that point quickly. Uh, the thirty five teachers who attended the workshop a couple weeks ago they send me a feedback form. I ask them questions and they send in their feedback so we can kind of get to know them before they get here. And I had them list three things they really need to get out of the workshop. What are three areas you really need to improve in? And in, out of 35 teachers, so that's three times 35, that's over a hundred responses there. Two, two of them mentioned writing. And I kind of threw that in their face the first night of the workshop because guess what? We make them write. And the pain that I saw in their faces when I said, and since only two of you mentioned writing as a concern, I guess you guys can really, really write. So we're going to find out right now. And was, eh. there were some uncomfortable people, because, but I only made them write a sentence in an exercise we did. But still, that's the point is 
that's one of the last things we often think about when we think about broadcasting. And it's really probably just about the second or third or first. I don't know. It's up there pretty, pretty high. So, yeah, I, I, I for me, it's, it's number one. Cause if you, you know, if you don't have ideas, you don't have content. Um, all right, so let's let's go off of a little bit of what you uh, were talking about. Uh, tell us about your program, and uh, so you, you kind of talked about the beginning uh, stages of your program. But where's your, uh, you know, what's your program like now? It's you know it's um, it's not if you watch the first year shows and you watch the last year's shows, you know we're talking twenty seven years apart, I guess, or something. Um, it, you would see some technical differences. Uh, you would see some differences in the way kids look, you know, the way the set looks. Um, but I think at the core of it, you would see a lot of similarities because we just are trying to do strong broadcast journalism. And uh, we have been through the years known for being this, the show that does some really kind of, I, I call them the kind of yucky topics, you know, the, the stuff that a lot of people can't cover or don't want to cover we've tried to take those on and we've we've been pretty successful at it you don't always set the world on fire you don't always um you know hope you you don't reach the you have the impact maybe you thought you were going to but uh it becomes a little more real for students when they're digging into something beyond coverage of the of the the fall musical or the you know, the dance or whatever and those are fine and th those are legit covering your own campus and your own school happenings that's a wonderful way for kids to get experience in this area we have from the beginning said we're not about hillcrest high school we're about issues issues and events that impact teen lives in general because remember we started out we were on citywide cable so we wanted the kids at the sister schools that live 10 miles across town to be interested in the show uh, that was kind of a goal anyway, is to do stories that were more for teenagers in general, not the ones that go to our school. So we have a lot of stories. Most of our stories are not shot at, on campus and uh, not are not about Hillcrest. Um, we'll have one every once in a while that is, if it's something that we think speaks to a larger audience. Now the audience, the potential audience, is anywhere in the world. So if you want to just cover your campus and what's going on at your school and share that impression of your school with the world, that's fine. That's legit. Go for it. But since we started out as a news magazine and have clung to that, um, we're kind of the old-fashioned news magazine that wants to roll out something that is different and could appeal to kids anywhere. And that's a big challenge. I tell the teachers, I said, don't do a monthly news magazine the first year or two that's it's one of the hardest formats i think is to do the in-depth reporting and try to get uh, you know get beyond the obvious and and you do need the first couple of years to establish credibility show that you can say names properly and report facts accurately and use your equipment and know how to get a, an image and sound and there's all that stuff that you don't have to start out you know like the worst thing you can do as a first year broadcast teacher is decide hey let's cover abortion okay you want to go there? Really? That'd be like dumb because it's like one of the most incendiary topics you can do. Everybody's got a strong opinion and chances are your sophomore and juniors in high school aren't quite ready to cover that when they've not even had a show for more than a couple of months or even a year. So, I, you know, there's some use some common sense that way and you can evolve into an issues and in, in-depth in program. There's no hurry, you know, so but that's what HTV is. And uh 
you know, it's ironic is I retired from full-time teaching in 12. I've been, I've, I've remained at Hillcrest ever since and still run HTV in the feeder uh, class, Broadcast Journalism 1. And probably, I'm not sure, but I think probably in 2013, we did a show that it was maybe the best thing we've ever done, certainly the most highly regarded thing in recent years. And, and that was after I retired from full-time. And I thought, I don't know how this is going to work part-time. And it worked out, it's worked out just fine. Um, but we did a show called Homeless in the Heartland, which kind of exploded. It was about as close to going viral as anything we've ever done. And it was an in-depth, really well thought out uh, program about homeless kids in our town, which, of course, would relate to homeless issues in any town. Uh, Springfield is just a typical Midwest city, kind of between a city and a town. So we're, we're, we're very familiar territory to a lot of the people that might have seen that show. And that was a big splash, a, a huge show for us. So, and that was after, you know, that's after all those years of doing this every month that we kind of stumbled onto something really cool. Wow. Uh, one of the things that always fascinates me about your program is that you guys do a bus tour every year. Uh, and you guys you take well, the crew and hop on. Not every year, but every couple of years. I couldn't do one every year, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, the bus tours. I get a lot. I, I probably get asked about that more than anything at the workshop after just kind of zipping through and say, oh, yeah, we do this bus tour thing. And they're like, whoa, back up. Yeah. What? You do what? Yeah, okay. Well, let's put it this way. One of the reasons I like teaching broadcast journalism is it's different every day and I get bored easy. And that's was, you know, so I was getting just ground into the, the dirt teaching English. I was just so tired of teaching the same old, same old. So I get to do broadcast journalism and we do a magazine show and it's different every month. And I, I love that. Well, after so many years, I said, I, you constantly, I think, need to inject something new and exciting and throw a curve at the kids uh, to keep your program really fun and worthwhile and keep them signing up. They don't sign up. We're an elective. They don't sign up. We don't have a class. So in uh, 2008, I, I knew that I had a really good group coming back in 09, 08, 09. So this was in spring of 08. I decided after doing some research that we were going to do a bus tour and we were going to shoot three stories at every stop every day and upload them to the internet as we went along and people could follow along back home. And we would add other things. We call them quick clips and then photos, just other content, but three fully developed packages every day. And that was the beginning in 09. We went to, and we did it over spring break and we got the school board to bless us with uh, leaving a day early, coming back a day late, something like that. We got an extra couple days in there. We went to, from Springfield to Chicago, New York, DC, Virginia Beach, Charlotte, Nashville, and back to Springfield. So we made this big northeastern and eastern loop and we shot three stories a day and uploaded them. And it was just insane, but we really had a great time. And we've, so we've done that again three more times. We do it every couple of years. And we've done the Southern Swing, we called it, back in 11. And we kind of went south and around uh, to the East Coast and back. And then we went to Colorado, to the, to the Rockies and to, uh, in 13. That was one of my favorites, just absolutely beautiful. And uh, the thing I liked about that, the first two, we were a little bit more stopping in cities and uh, kind of the same you know, the cities are, they're all unique, but they're also all the same. So Colorado allowed us to tell stories in more rural areas and less populated areas. And that was a blast. And then uh, the one we just finished was one I kind of dreamed of years ago, and I finally decided to try it. And we flew from Kansas City to Portland last July and 
Stayed in Portland a couple nights, caught the bus there, and headed down the west coast of Oregon and Northern California and circled back up from San Francisco. That yeah, was fantastic. We called it the Pacific Coast Bus Tour. And just, I, Oregon, if you haven't been to Oregon, in the west coast of Oregon, you're missing out on just unbelievable territory, unbelievable scenery. And we just had a blast. And, you know, hiking in the redwoods and just how quiet it was. And, uh, of course, San Francisco, you can't go wrong there. It's a fascinating city. So that was the idea. And, and here's the thing. I did this twice with teachers at the ASB workshop. We do a workshop for teachers who want to come back now. Every other year, we call it the ASB Returners Workshop. If you've attended any of our workshops in Springfield or anywhere in the country, you're eligible. So we've done a couple bus tours with teachers. And one thing I noticed, on the HTV bus tours, it's very clear. I take some former students as field producers, three or four usually college-age kids that have stayed in video somehow. They, they kind of go with the, the, the crew, the high school crew, and make sure they're safe and make sure they get a story. Uh, the, our theme is get off the bus. That's our fo- Get off the bus and find a story. That's the focus. It's real simple. Don't get on your phone and Google a story. Just wherever we, you know, here we are in Estes Park. Just look around. Walk around. Meet people. Find interesting things and people and go talk to them. And, and, and the kids love it and they do a great job. The teachers can't help themselves. We're pulling into Louisville on the last one or, or Chicago or, or Indianapolis. We did those three cities on the last one in 14. And they're Googling everything and they're going, they're getting it all set up ahead of time. They don't want to just get off the bus and find a story. They want to find a story before they get off the bus. And we were just shaking our heads. That was not the idea. But that's teachers. Teachers are afraid to fail. They have to get the A. And that means I have to have a story. And if I can call ahead and these people say we can come, that's a lot better than then this is a perfect example of what I was after and what didn't happen. So I'm, my wife and I, we're walking down Michigan Avenue and there is a veteran in camouflage and he's in a wheelchair and he's got a friend with him and the friend is uh, playing back uh, background music and this guy is just singing. He's singing on the corner. He has a hat on the sidewalk and if people donate, they donate. He's a veteran. He sings well, you know, and he was a character. He was like very friendly when he wasn't singing. He was talking to people. And I just stood there with my iPhone 4 or whatever it was at the time. And I shot a few sequences of him and got some net sound. I did not interview him, but I just wanted to get shots of him because I thought he was a, that's the kind of guy that you can go talk to and do a story about. And you can shoot that story in 45 minutes and have a great profile of this guy and find out what he's all about. But instead, teachers kind of want to go to places and make sure they get in and get to, and some of them did really neat stories, but I just wish they had just walked around and talked to people that they encountered. That was the idea. And uh, so I think there's value. And I think it's like, I think the whole thing for me, probably embedded in my subconscious is Charles Corral from CBS, Charles Corral, the on the road guy from the 60s and 70s, the guy that Hartman does it now. But Charles Corral did it for years at CBS, and I grew up watching CBS News. So I, his, I just there might be a cool story down the road. Let's drive down there and see. I love that idea. So I thought that was a neat thing, and, and I, I think the teachers got something from the experience. It maybe what it was was we went in wanting them to get this, but instead they got this, and that's okay. But I, I just, uh, I think it's really powerful for kids to realize they can get a story without having it planned by just looking and being curious. 
How do you, so, you know, that, I think that's the, one of the, the, the big barriers that I would think that a lot of, uh, teachers and students would, would, that would kind of jump up in their mind when they kind of hear about that, that, you know, you guys just, you, you pull up to a place, you get off and you just go out and you find something. Um, so I, you know, I think a lot of people would be really afraid, as you said, afraid of failure. How do you yeah. prepare your students, you know, to just basically go up in, in like a cold call situation, yeah. ask someone to record and, and, and if they get turned down to bounce back from that, how do you prepare your students for that? Well, they're, you know, I tell them people are going to tell, you no. you say, thank you. And you move on just because you have a camera and a microphone, you don't have any authority over anybody. And a lot of teens think, yeah, journalists have these cameras and mics and you got to answer their questions. You got to no, nobody has to talk to you. You have a lot of, you have a lot of power but you don't have any authority. So I teach them that you're going to get turned down. That's a valuable lesson, but you keep looking. The other thing is they don't want to be the ones that don't meet deadline. You know, there's three teams shooting that day that have packages and they're not going to, there's a little bit of pride and there's a little bit of, uh, we're going to find something. And the producers that go along with them are former HTVers who have been on bus tours who kind of get the drill and they're not going to let their crew fail either. So there's that little bit of a safety net there with the producer that's there with them but um it's it's we teach them to approach people with a smile we are not doing hard news on this let's not get you know let's be honest we're doing features we're looking for feature topics and that helps a little bit we're not trying to dig dig into a news topic in a look i mean if news happened in front of us i'd like to believe we would have covered it but these are features that we're looking for that process is so empowering when they get back to school in the fall because, hey, I did a story in a day on the bus trip. I, you're giving me all month to come up with something? Wow. It's, it just takes away that, that fear that they're going to fail on an HTV piece that when they're doing stories. In a, basically, we let them shoot. on, Like, for example, on the bus tour, they would, wherever we get to on Monday afternoon, let's say Monday afternoon, we roll into San Francisco. They're going to go out that afternoon or evening. They're on the clock. They're shooting a story that day, and then they've got till the next night to have it edited and ready to upload. So that's the turnaround. Shoot one day, have it ready by the next night. So there's it's a reasonable turnaround. It's not a day turn. It's kind of a kind of a two day turn. Uh, we do the same thing, Kevin. We do the same thing to the teachers at the workshop, and we drop them on a street somewhere and say, "You've got." Uh, five or six hours here. We usually drop them off around four thirty or five, and they, you know we want to head home around ten ten thirty. So go find a story. Now we've worked with them all week, and we've done smaller assignments to lead up to what we call the big shoot. And the big shoot is a part of the ASB workshop that they all know is coming. And they have, and that's usually on Wednesday night. We start on Sunday night. By Wednesday afternoon evening, we've dropped them somewhere. We're evil that way. And the staff goes to eat a really good meal while they're out sweating in, in July heat in the Ozarks to get a story, to meet these. And, you know, these are folks that come from all over. They don't know. They're not sure that we hillbillies aren't going to do something terrible to them. We, they've heard we're kind of weird. So so they meet all these, you know, all these types of people on the streets here in the Ozarks where we take them. And, and uh, they do great. They come back. And then they have all Thursday to put it together. And... So Thursday, they can relax and just edit the piece. But by the week's end in the workshop, we've done to them in five days what they're going to be asking their kids to do all year. And that's the power of that assignment you mentioned of just showing up somewhere and going up to strangers. The other thing, let's face it, the kids are worse at it now than they've ever been because they don't even talk to each other. 
they got that device in their hands and they'd much rather text. And they think uh, communication is clicking on the heart for, and liking a photo. Well, then they've communicated. You know, that's, so you've got to, this is another reason we need these kinds of assignments. Make these people, make these kids go talk to other human beings. You know, they're not texting with these total strangers on the street. They're having to look them in the eye and have a conversation and find out what their story is. And it also really helps their interviewing skills. Because, you, you know, you've got to draw these folks out. I mean, we got a, we were in um, Charleston, South Carolina in 2011, and uh, a crew was out. We got there late in the evening, so by the time we hit the streets, the three teams shooting had to shoot at night in a strange city. And one team, they struck out, and every, and then finally they found this guy sweeping the street and cleaning up the street and picking up little trash. And they had the nerve to go up and say, hey, we we're we're from Springfield, Missouri. This is a assignment from our TV class. We're here trying to interview different people around the country about their lives. Well, his life, he'd just gotten out of prison about a week before that. And this was his job. He got a job cleaning the street and he was hoping to to do his job well enough and to show that he had re- reformed so that his wife would take him back. And I mean, you just you can't make this up, you know. I mean, this is a guy he could have told them to, to jump in the lake. He decided they got him to talk. And that was one of the ones I said, you know, if you don't ask, you won't find out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to get into, if, if we can, just a minute here, is kind of just touch upon, uh, you know, now that we kind of have an idea of, of I guess, your program and you know, what successes would you say that your program has had and, and how have you guys become uh, the program that you are today? Um, if you have to forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but I believe I saw online just recently you guys won an RFK award. Yeah. I'm not sure what that was called exactly. Could you talk about oh, that yeah. and the kids that earned that? Yeah, the Robert F. Kennedy High School Journalism Award um, started in 1998. Um, it, the awards themselves started the year that RFK was assassinated in, in 1968 when he was making his presidential run. The press corps that covered him respected him enough that they wanted to do something in his honor. So they started the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Awards. And, and the book award, there's also a RFK book award that was added to that. So every year, the RFK Journalism and Book Awards uh, are handed out in Washington, D.C. at the museum. And Ethel Kennedy shows up every year. Kerry uh, uh, Kennedy Cuomo was part of the presentation team this year. Michael Beschloss, the historian, was the MC. He's MC'd it the last three or four years that I know of. In 1998, we were fortunate enough to win it, uh, and we had done a story, a two-parter, about uh, Alzheimer's caregivers. And the thing I liked about that story, I thought the two girls did a wonderful job, but it's not a teen topic, and I told you earlier we're all about stories that teens should care about, uh, or the teens care about, but the other question, you know, when you ask yourself, do teens care when you pitch a story, and then the other thing we have our kids think about is, or should teens care? And in this case, uh, Alzheimer's um, is not a teen topic, but yet it is because we found out a lot of teens had grandparents and older relatives who had, who were suffering from it. And then we we kind of turned the focus on the people that take care of the people with Alzheimer's, and what a stressful thing that is. Well, anyway, it won. And since. 98, we've won the award eight times. And the, our eighth one was this past spring for a piece about a, a, a man and his family. They got out of uh, the Congo. They waited 12, 15 years in a refugee camp in Tanzania. And he 
found himself finally, after all those years, uh, brought to Springfield, Missouri to start his life over. And we got to, to meet him and, and his family and see the struggles they were facing. From the language barriers, he speaks English well enough. It was a very strong interview, but that that's the kind of story. What, what the RFK Award does is it honors social journalism. The way to think about it is is um, giving a voice to the voiceless is what it's all about. And what, what I love about that contest, and the best contests out there, inspire you to do great work. They inspire you to take your game up a notch and maybe do something you wouldn't have done before or as well. But the kids, um, and, and it wasn't that we did the story for the contest, but about three-fourths of the way through, the three students worked on it. They had done such a good job gathering all the stuff that they needed for this. And I said, you know, you guys nailed this. I think we're going to probably have an RFK entry. I don't know if you're going to win. You never tell kids they're going to win anything, but we will enter it. And they thought that was cool. And so that's that's one of the awards I suggest for any teachers out there if you're not aware of it. Uh, but it's not about – don't do a story about the football team or the new – uh, the the new class or the this is social journalism this is to be a story you do about uh, a disadvantaged group of people in your community they want it to be local and what the community is doing about it it's kind of a two-part thing to think about some some folks who've got it rough right now in your community but what's your community doing about it and wonderful contest uh, absolutely the highlight probably of my career the the show has been well received through the years with honors but the fact that we've had eight of those is just, uh, you know, I can walk away pretty proud of the kids that worked on those pieces. All right. Well, segueing from uh, talking about contests a little bit and, and just the opportunities that it provides for kids, um, I want to get into talking uh, about STN uh, in particular because you, if I'm remembering this correctly, you were the founding president of STN. Is that correct? I was the f- uh, first president of STN back in, uh, boy, 99 through 01, I believe it was. So, yeah, we got it started. STN actually was an idea that uh, a guy named Paul Folkmer, Dr. Paul Folkmer, uh, he's still out there somewhere. He's retired now, and, and uh, uh, I've seen him. I haven't seen him in a few years, but a uh, super guy, a smart guy. Um, he, he worked for Channel One, is, is in charge of kind of their education outreach. Um, he had been an associate superintendent himself, and uh, and we used to go to the JEA conventions and I would help present Channel One. We were a Channel One school back in the 90s and we had entered their number one newscast contest and won it a few times. And uh, so I got to know the people there. Debbie Milan uh, also was kind of their their coordinator with the schools. And, and we would meet up at the JEA conventions and I would do presentation or two with them or for them and, and just promote high school broadcast journalism and try to, you know. And Paul came up with this crazy idea. He kind of tapped into the the broadcast teachers were starting to multiply a little bit and we wanted our own thing kind of it was like we were under the JEA umbrella but we didn't feel like we really had our own you know recognized community Paul pitched the idea of a separate group for broadcast journalism under the JEA umbrella still but with its own branding and then we came up with we met in Minneapolis uh, we were up there. Paul and uh, Noreen Clark was also, she was involved at the beginning, another Channel One employee. And, and we met and came up with the name Student Television Network. Now, Grant, this is back when we're still doing television. Now we're all meeting on the internet. We don't, how many schools even do television anymore? But we didn't have the foresight back then to say, maybe we don't want to use the word television because in a few years, no. Anyway, STN for short. And we started doing our, we started running our own contest for JEA. We ran the video contest and we made, 
we helped provide sessions, presentations. And so we became more of a thing at JEA. But there was still, from the, the Camp STN, the workshop that was named Camp STN back then, because we kind of envisioned, envisioned it all along as a boot camp for broadcast teachers. That's why we named it that. At Camp STN every year, starting in 2001, 02, 03, there was this strong desire by the teachers in attendance. They wished they had their own convention where it was just all broadcast. And we, because JEA is a huge print organization with some broadcast. It's never been huge. It's been, it's okay, but it's not, you know, those are yearbook and newspaper kids mainly. So it was a legitimate idea, but we really were so young and new. STN, we, I mean, we probably had less, we had less than a hundred schools that had paid our whopping $30 or $25 membership fee, which didn't even start until 2002. We were free until then. They decided um, in the summer of 03, uh, I was no longer president. My good friend Fred Mann was, but I had kind of hosted the workshop of the camp and I'd been fairly vocal they looked to me a little bit about the, I'd help brainstorm a, a possible convention someday. And they just decided, they voted, uh, the, the board of directors at that time, just a bunch of volunteer teachers, um, said, Dave, go to, go to L.A. and plan a, let's do this. Go find us a hotel, set this up. And so I'm like, seriously? Said, we didn't have much money. I mean, they barely had enough to fly me and another guy out there to kind of. And so we went out and cut a deal with the Sheridan Hilton I'm sorry, the Sheridan Universal, Hilton's next door, the Sheridan Universal, right there next to City Walk and Universal Studios, seemed like a good location for a bunch of media kids. Uh, Radio Television News Directors Association Foundation, back then, it's now changed, it's the radio, what is it, the RT Digital Foundation, whatever. Uh, They were super supportive, and they helped kind of co-sponsor it, and they helped provide speakers, and so in the January of 04, we had 500 attendees at the first STN convention, and we thought that's about what we targeted. We could break even or make it a little money for the next year if we could just get 500. We got 500. Year two, we had 1,200, and that's when it became very clear this is something that is needed out there. We've tapped into something that teachers want and students need. And so then it grew from there. Uh, the Sheridan Universal, the second year, told us, you're too big for us. you got to go somewhere else. So we moved it to the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim, cut a deal with them. I can tell you I know why the mouse is always smiling, because there is nothing cheap about dealing with Disneyland. But they were but they also thoroughly professional, so that was the other side of it. Uh, so we did. Uh, so I chaired the convention from 04 to 08, did the first five. And like I was telling you earlier, when you're a full-time teacher, I mean, I was full-time at the time, and a full-time broadcast teacher cranking out programming, it got ridiculous. My time was so divided. And I'm on the phone. I think the students in 06, 07, 08 thought I just walked around like this all the time I, with a phone on my ear. I finally had to say five years is enough. You know, I pretty much opened a vein for STN, and it was time to kind of, just focus on HTV and let some others take it and run with it. And they have, and it's bigger than ever. It's up to 3,000 now. And it is, um, it's the place to go if you're a video teacher and, and a video student. You will be impressed when you walk in and just see this mass of kids carrying around gear that you've never seen or just in the passion and the, the energy. It's, it's pretty special. And I'm just happy to have had a, a small part in getting it started. So that's, 
And ST in itself is organizations doing well, and it's it's rewarding to me to see a lot of the contests that I had to create because we're having this convention and we need some contests. And so I was in on the ground floor of creating quite a few contests for the convention and for the network. The STN Challenge was my idea, and I'm proud of that because I still think it's one of the coolest contests out there, and they get great content from it every year. But I, I see the events at the convention that they've hung on to. The Sweet 16 was my evil idea. I get I get credit and blame for that. Uh, and the sweet, It's now the Crazy 8, I think, or something. But the Sweet 16 was awesome because it gave so many people who want to participate a reason to come to town a day early. And we had a room guarantee we had to meet. So while I thought this will be an awesome way for students and their teacher to be a team and to face a 16-hour deadline and all of that, the, the underlying original idea was we need to get people to come eat up some more of our room nights because we were guaranteeing more and more of them through the years because the program, the, the convention grew. And you got to meet your room minimum or else you get killed on, uh, you know, paying off the hotel. So... But the Sweet 16 was fantastic uh, experience. My kids have done it three times. Uh, we haven't done the Crazy 8. since We haven't gone to the convention with students because of scheduling conflicts. But I'm going back in, in next March. We're pumped about going back and trying our hand at the Crazy 8. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that, that's definitely a contest that you mentioned, the, the Sweet 16. For listeners who don't know, it's a 16-hour contest where students have to write, shoot, and edit either a broadcast or a film in, in 16 hours. Tell us about um, what value do you think uh, contests and, and STN as an organization, what, what value does that really bring uh, to a student's education to get their work um, uh, out there and into the world and, and into the hands of, of judges for these contests? Well, the key, I think, is that your contest is not really educational if you don't get feedback. If somebody just is watching it and ranking it and turning in results with no critique, with nothing on paper, nothing, you know, nothing said about what you did right or what you did wrong or what could be better or what was really good, you know, it's not very educational. And we have uh, those kinds of contests uh, on the scholastic landscape. I call them beauty pageants. That's really all they are. Um... And I, that's unfortunate. But what I think STN has made a point of doing through the years, because we insisted on it from year one, is our contests will come with critiques, will come back, come with feedback. The other thing STN does that's, um, that sometimes causes the results to be delayed, people get upset because their result, results are not handed out quick enough, is that they have professionals do their judging. And they have stuck to that. They want professionals from the industry to critique these students' work. So uh, by sticking to that, they have tied their hands a little bit. But I understand why they have. I mean, because professionals are busy and they don't always meet their deadline for judging because in the list of things they've got to get done this week, that's probably going to get pushed down every once in a while. I understand that. Um, The ASB, which is what this little thing that I we renamed Camp ST into the ASB Workshop, uh, just to help everybody keep the players straight. We're the same way. We don't. We have one contest a year, the Storytelling Award. We sponsor it, and you enter your best two stories from the year, and you may or may not win. We're pretty. Our judges are really chintzy with the award, but they also do. I think the best critiques out there. They're very thorough, and that's the whole point of it. Is more the critiques than it is the contest. To be quite honest, 
So I think that's one thing STN has done. JEA also, if you compete at JEA at their convention, you get feedback for the write-off contest. It might not be more than a couple sentences, but that's still something for teachers like you and me to have an outsider, a professional, somebody say, you got to use a tripod. This is far too shaky. Well, you and I've said that 900 times, but it becomes a little more real when you don't win that contest because they didn't like your shaky footage or you didn't white balance or your audio is terrible. So, you know, that's, there's the benefit of contests for them to get outside feedback that will hopefully inf uh, just second the uh, things that the teacher has been saying all along. That's huge. The recognition is huge. Let me tell you where the recognition matters the most. The new programs that are having trouble getting support or having trouble building the culture of their program. To get some recognition in your local community, um, to be able to wave an honorable mention in anchoring, one of your kids got to, to be able to say, we got third in the STN challenge, and it's a really tough contest. That first time that you get on the map locally in your own newspaper, on, in, in your own building, and kids start hearing about this recognition, and, it's in, and then you go and you're raising funds, and it's been in the paper on the TV, local news, that you guys, your program won recognition. It's going to be easier to raise money. People are going to be, people like to support a winner. I mean, let's face it. So there is that, that the teacher has to keep that in mind. But what the teacher also has to always keep in mind is lower expectations. Don't ever tell kids, that is awesome. If that doesn't win, I don't know why. No, no, no. You say, you did a great job on that story. I don't care if it wins or loses. You did a great job. And you never know what else is entered. You don't know if you'll ever win an award. But you did good work, and you should be proud of that. The glory is in the story. It is not in the piece of paper or the plaque. The glory is in the story. I teach that all the time. Do the best story you can and walk away from that feeling good about it. Yeah, um, uh, I think there's definitely a value to uh, for a student to produce the best work and then the best work that they can and then to look at others and, and say, okay, I wonder how my work can stack up against against theirs and then to really be able to admire the work of their peers. There was a film that was produced uh, this past year that won uh, best film at their, the, the Film Excellence Award for best film. And it's probably the best high school film I've ever seen. My students, we stumbled upon it online back in December and I showed it to all my classes, just said, guys, th like, just, just look at what this student did. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and just to appreciate like the work of, of their peers. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's something that can, can inspire and hopefully impact uh, students. We have, yeah, we have to instill that in our students. And sometimes students just want to, they have a, a, a football or basketball mentality. It's win or lose, you know, and it's beat the other team across town. And honestly, that, that, that gets old after a while. And, and it actually doesn't help your program. You need just to do the best content you can. And, and that's, that's, but the recognition helps in other ways, but you're also going to get your heart broken if you keep entering contests. Just trust me, you're not always going to win. And somebody may win that you don't think is very good. Something may win that you think ours was better. Guess what? Welcome to life. Contests and broadcasting are subjective. And a human being on that day didn't really love your story. One thing I wanted to, to mention to you that I, I thought was interesting, my very first uh uh, STN convention was actually 2013 in LA, and the very first session that I attended was one of your sessions. Oh um, my God. And uh, some of the stories that I remember you showing, two of them in particular, um, it was Rachel Miles's Easy Access segment that she won a national Emmy for. Um, and then the other one uh, was from 2009. I'm assuming it was from the 
uh, Sweet 16 contest, your students went out and did uh, the is the chariot, the old woman and her her chariot. That was that was from 2011. That was the Sweet 16 Sweet 16 in Orlando, and we found the lady with the the, the car she'd had since 1964. Yeah, uh, the easy access um, here. It's funny you mention that in 2012. We celebrated um, our 200th HTV magazine at our banquet. We have a banquet at the end of the year, hand out our own internal awards, and recognize the new HTV Hall of Famers. We'll induct two or three that I choose after, based on their career effort, the, their body of work, and we do packages, tributes to them, and it's a really special moment to have them back. Well, this particular year, 2012, we had a full house. I mean, we must have had... 250, 300 people attend, and we're usually around 120, 130. And we were going to debut, premiere HTV Magazine number 200, which is still on our website. Um, but I was struggling as we put that show together. I mean, you think about it, that's a lot of shows. How do you single out some, how, how do you do some sort of tribute within that show to the, the best stories or the stories that deserve a place in that show? And one of my students said, Coach, why don't you just pick three stories that kind of represent what HTV is all about? And I said, man, that's brilliant. Now my task gets a little easier. So I, I showed clips of three stories. One was um, a, a human interest, a people story about a girl who had been impaled in a car wreck and survived. And they called her the Miracle Girl. And she was, and she was a tender, sweet interview. We got her a few months after her recovery, but she really had a pole going through her side, and the doctors could not believe it didn't hurt any internal organs. They were able to save this girl. Fascinating story, and she was a passenger, by the way, and she was not driving, and they were hilltopping, gathering up speed on a hill so they could get that little airborne feeling, and, and they lost control. That was one. The second one was a total spoof that because we, we like to have fun, too, and, and we had done our back in... 2002, Brandon Goodwin, who helps me at ASB, we are ASB. Brandon is a great young producer. He's not as young as he used to be, which I remind him. Uh, he did this spoof. It was very daily showish, back pre John Stewart, but it was the total tongue in cheek of a of a local cheese shop, a cheese shop about 80 miles down the road that we were stopping at on our way back on a trip, and a cheese place, Osceola Cheese, and. Um, I, I was sleepy and needed to get some rest in the van before we made the next 80 miles home. And Brandon and another kid wanted to do a story. They grabbed me, hey, coach, can we do a story while we're here? I said, I don't care. I'm taking a nap. Wake me up in about 45 minutes. I said, what should we do? What, how, what's our focus? I said, I, I don't know. I'm sleepy. I say, do a story that shows all the things you shouldn't do in a story. And you know they did it. And it was it today. I still showed it at the workshop and people crack up. It's uh, so... Uh, it's just, and everything about that story is bogus and, and wrong and all of that. And then the third story that I show representing our investigative in-depth work is um, Easy Access by Rachel and Kendra about buying alcohol online. And uh, Av Weston, who was the longtime ABC News, head of ABC News, he was emceeing the ceremony in 2009 or, or 8 or whenever that was. I think it was 7 even. Yeah, I think it was 2008. Uh, to make a long story short, Av Weston in the mixer before the ceremony, he walked up to the girls and their parents, and I just was standing there kind of like, Ob Weston is talking to us. And, and he said, girls, I uh, I want to tell you about your new, your story. He said, first of all, um, we're, gonna, we're showing clips of all the other winners tonight. We're showing yours last, and we're showing all of it, and because it's that good. And I was like, wow. And then he said, the Emmy voters, the judges, the Emmy judges that year, he says, they don't give perfect scores. 
that story got a perfect score. Yeah. And I'm just seeing, like, I'm, I just, and, and they don't know of Weston, you know, I mean, they're six, 17 years old. So, uh, you know, it was one of those moments as a teacher, you're just like, dang, that happened. Uh, but that's a good piece. And those three were the represent, and that's kind of, you know, but I'm glad you came to my session. I didn't know you were there in 13. Uh, yeah. 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 That was, uh, that was my first year taking kids to S. That was only my second year teaching. So wow. it was kind of an all new. You're such a child. I tell you, you're such a babe in the woods here. I can't. Um, but yeah, that, that piece, that easy access piece, I show that to my students every year. Um, that and, and the chariot one, just cause they both really stood out to me as these are really just, just compelling and just, just really interesting and, um, amazing stories. And so uh, I still show those. Yeah, she sold the car. The lady in my chariot uh, eventually had to stop driving, sold the car, but she screened potential buyers until she found just the right guys to buy it somewhere in Iowa. That's amazing. Um, all right, well, I want to go ahead and uh, uh, wrap this up here. Uh, are there okay. any, any plugs that you want to make for um, you know, ah. either ASB or anything else, uh, or maybe okay. even just tell us where we can see your students' work? I will plug our website is htbbuzz.com. We're the Hillcrest Hornets, so we kind of rebranded a few years ago our website. And on that website, you can see uh, HTB Magazine in its entirety or a lot of individual pieces. And also, if you go to HTB Classic at the top, teachers, you know those days, broadcast teachers, one of the worst days for you to prepare for is the day you're going to be absent and you have a sub. And it's just, I hate it. And you probably, you don't know whether to let them do any we put some stories i call it htv classic which doesn't mean they're all great it means they're older and they're stories from our past but each one comes with five study questions and if you and you can find those you'll see them under htv classic not every story there has the five study questions i'd say probably 30 of them do and that's just for you i wanted to do something for teachers on the days they're going to be absent you could have kids watch those watch a few stories critique them and then uh, the ASB workshop, we're getting ready to do our second one of this summer in Connecticut for the first time. Uh, but the ASB workshop will be back next summer uh, in July here in Springfield, Missouri for the first time attendees. It's going to be uh, probably around July 8th that we'll start. I'll have to check the calendar. We'll get that out on the website, scholasticbroadcasting.com, for the, all the ASB information. And we do have a returners workshop next summer. We do that in the even-numbered years. So if you've attended any of our workshops anywhere, you can come to the returners workshop next year. And that will probably be in late June. Uh, we'll get the information out on that very soon, the dates again here in Springfield. I want to tell the teachers that might listen to this from Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, and Oklahoma, what we call the four-state area. ASB is hosting the four-state conference just for kids and teachers from those four states in early November. We're going to have a conference and there's going to, we're going to limit it to 300 attendees this year. And there will be all sorts of on-site contests and all sorts of breakout sessions. And it's just going to be a great two and a half days here in Springfield. So check that out also on the scholasticbroadcasting.com site. You can follow me on Twitter at, H, at, H, at DavisHTV. Uh, you can follow HTV on Twitter at HTVBuzz. Same thing on Instagram. And uh, it's great to connect out there. I'm, I've learned all of this social media stuff through the years. It's, and the other thing is you can follow... Um, HTV on Facebook, and we actually have a pretty good following there. We put up a lot of content just for Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash HTV magazine. When you get asked uh, by, by a new person that you're meeting and they ask you, what, what do you do for a living? How do you yeah. answer that question and what response do you get in return? 
Well, when you say, I, I've been teaching broadcast journalism at Hillcrest for the last, well, I've been at Hillcrest High School since 1983. That, they're like, wow, you're old. Yes, I am. Uh, but then they say, what do you teach? And I say, I teach broadcast journalism. And they look at you and they have to digest that for a second. And, and then they say, that sounds fun. I said, it's fun. It's long hours. It's a, but it, there's a, it's a lot of work and a lot of reward. And what do you, what do you mean by? Bro- I said we have our own show. We've had our own show since 1989, and it's journalism by high school kids. It's, it's in depth. Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad because we're just learning. And, and sometimes it's eye opening. And you got to, you know, check it out. And I can give them a website now. You used to have to go through the whole. If you have cable TV and you live in Springfield, we're on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights. Don't have to do that anymore, although I kind of miss being on TV, but that's a whole other discussion. But at least I can reference the website. But they always look at you like, I didn't know that was a thing in school, and uh, that sounds like fun. And it's a little bit, I just warn teachers, yeah, your class is fun, but be careful how much you promote the fun of your class because kids will sign up for the wrong reasons, and it's also a lot of work. And it's a lot of long hours, and it's working away from school. For our, in our case, it's it's working after school. It's on weekends. It's it's editing on deadline. Whether you've got seven other things, the deadline is Monday, and you have to. So there's a lot of work to it, and we should admit that we have fun, but talk about how we work. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, I, I get that same response. The oh yeah, is that is that fun? And does that sound yeah? That sounds like fun. Um, but, but yes, a lot of work and, uh, it will always continue to be a lot of work. And hopefully as the school year gets going, we can, uh, get our kids back into the groove of, of that work. That work thing. It kind of matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think right now we're teaching something that's more important than ever. And I, I broadcast journalism, whatever it is, five, 10 years from now, I mean, I, at least we can give them the foundation of how to tell a story fair and objectively and. You know, that's I, I get a lot of reward from that. So, all right. Well, Dave, we want to thank you very much for your time, and uh, good luck with the uh, workshop in Connecticut. All right. So that was my conversation with Dave Davis. Uh, a few notes and updates: the uh, ASB workshop registration, unfortunately, is now closed. But you can go to scholasticbroadcasting.com for details if you're interested in adding your name to the waiting list for. Uh, the ASB workshop. Um, however, the returners workshop as of uh, about a week ago still had six spots left. As of May 9th, uh, Dave sent an email out saying that there were six spots left for the returners workshop. So he talked about that in the episode. If you're interested in that, again, go to scholasticbroadcasting.com. Uh, the four state event that he discussed happening in November uh, did take place, and I was told that it will be happening again this next year. Uh, so if you're in that part of the country, be sure to look out for that. I feel I should mention that Dave's students have actually started their own podcast series called Bay 11. Uh, they have nine episodes out thus far that are definitely worth checking out. You can find it on iTunes. Again, it's called Bay 11. Uh, and an update on how Dave's program did at the 2018 Student Television Network convention. They had two videos placed. They won first place for their music video. And then in our conversation, you heard us talk about the Crazy 8 contest. Well, his students uh, earned a top five finish in the Crazy 8 News Magazine broadcast category. Uh, And then one final thing, you heard us mention uh, an organization called JEA. Uh, In case you're not familiar with it, JEA is the Journalism Education Association. 
uh, in our discussion on the formation of the student television network, we kind of just glossed over mentioning JEA and we didn't really give it the props it deserves in our uh, just kind of casual conversation there. Um, so I want to note that I just renewed my third year of membership in JEA. Um, it's a great organization. They have some great resources, including lesson plans and various articles with uh, helpful content. Uh, the Student Television Network is great for your program to be a part of, but I also recommend that you as a teacher join uh, JEA. I think you'll find their organization to be very helpful. Uh, so that's it for this week. That is the first episode of They Teach That. Uh, I'll be back in your feed next week when you'll hear my discussion with Karen McKemmy from Fort Mill High School. Until then, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes, and I'll catch you all on the flippity flip. That's a Michael Scott reference. <laughs>